Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Our guest today is writer, director, and co-editor of this wonderful film called Cadeo Blanco. The film focuses on a working-class girl from Guatemala City by the name of Sarita who travels to a small coastal town to infiltrate a gang in order to find her sister Bea, who has gone missing. It's a film about a young woman's unwavering determination to uncover the truth about what has happened to her sister Bea. Cadeo Blanco is also about family. It is about a multi-tiered society where the rich do not live in the same world as the poor people of this country of Guatemala. There's so much going on in terms of the breakdown of civil society, how it plays out in this film. Just a beautifully accomplished film, Cadeo Blanco, and we're joined today by the writer, director, and co-editor of the film, and that would be Justin Lerner. Justin, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. In addition to your role as a director, writer, editor, you also are a teacher at a film school in Guatemala City. Let's talk about that in relation to how Cadeo Blanco became a reality. Yeah, so the project kind of was born out of me living down in Guatemala City. In 2016, I became the first professor at a film school in the capital in Guatemala City. I've lived on and off there at split time almost equally between the U.S. and Guatemala since that time. So I'm going on maybe seven years now living between both both countries. The film school I started had a lot of really young students, some as young as 18 years old. And one of them one weekend brought me to his hometown where he was born and grew up called Puerto Barrios, which is a coastal Caribbean town on the northeast coast on the Atlantic. It's more of a tropical climate than just the urban kind of concrete city that Guatemala City is. As I was there looking at it, the city and spending time with my students and his friends, I I started to meet people from the community and realized that, well, first of all, it was a really beautiful part of the country that I'd never seen. There's beaches, jungle, mountains, volcanoes, lakes, rivers, forests, just gorgeous. And uh, my student thought I might want to film something there at some point. But what he didn't know is that I started meeting his friends. I realized that a lot of the young people I was meeting at this take part either formally, presently, or part-time or full-time in these kind of disorganized crime units called clicas. They are just disorganized gangs that are a lot different than what you would typically see on um, a gang crime film from Latin America. They were kids that were indistinguishable from my nieces or nephews in the sense that like, had they been born in another place, they looked just like any kid you would see walking down the street in the suburbs. And this hit me in a way that got me excited about the possibility of Maybe something that hasn't been told, a story that hasn't been told could be told here because the representations I've seen in film as of the past 20 or 30 years in the gang crime genre tend to be more stereotypical, violent, devilish and evil representations and depictions of these kinds of people who commit violent crimes. This town, for the beauty, for all of its beauty, was also one of the most dangerous and violent towns in all of Central America, highest murder rate highest uh, violent crime rate, 
poverty, uh, teen poverty, ch child poverty, one of the highest in all of, all of Guatemala. Uh, food insecurity was a big deal. So the town itself, despite being beautiful, had a lot of problems that I felt like has bred the need for these uh, groups of people, mostly kids, to be banned together in these groups to, to commit crimes in order to either protect their families from other criminals or to make extra money or to even just be part of a family because a lot of people had these broken families, which is no different than any other um, uh, many other marginalized communities all over the world. The only difference this being that no one had ever made a film here. I had access to a group of kids who were all part of these gangs that were that little by little over the course of maybe a month or two at the beginning, which became two years, allowed me to do interviews, research, actually like them taking me on tours of their private areas, sometimes with, with, with cameras, sometimes with no camera. And I would only have to just log it all in memory because of their, their, their insecurity about, you know, being anonymous and all under the, the proposition that I was thinking about making a fictionalized film, something that I still wanted to mirror reality, but I would change enough so that they would be protected and safe enough to, to confide in me real stories about their lives. So over the next course of the next two years, I started visiting this community in Puerto Barrios with my student who became a co-producer on the film. And we started doing street castings. We started meeting and I started writing a script, but only after collecting stories in these auditions and in these meetings I would have with people from all over town, some of them young, still in gangs, some of them just getting out, some adults in their 20s and 30s who had left the gangs, but had a lot of interesting thoughts about for me about the way the life is there. After putting that all together, it started to become more and more of a real thing. I started showing some of the videos I took to a producers in Los Angeles and eventually getting some money to go down and shoot a couple short scenes or to do a more proper casting to fly my cinematographer out from, from um, uh, Argentina so he could start taking some photographs and and doing proper rehearsals, filming everything, and then throwing all the good stuff we got from the rehearsals and the improvisations into the script. So it kind of became in the same muscle memory you would have as an investigative journalist or a documentarian, a film script that started evolving every time we learned new information that was real. And anytime that something was in the script that didn't ring true to any of the people participating, whether in front of the camera or my advisors in the town, we got rid of it. So it was a very tricky ongoing process that the script never even finished being written up until the day we were shooting it and sometimes after that. And it all kind of started with my, 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 my position as a professor there and just taking these trips up to this beautiful coastal town and learning about this part of the world that's never been filmed in a feature. And then going back to Guatemala City and finding some professional actors to pepper in with the mostly non-professional cast who are playing fictionalized versions of themselves. And I'd say through that synthesis, it started to become this kind of part documentary, part journalism, part fiction, narrative feature film that kind of, the more I talk about it, the more I realize it kind of defies categorization. But I think the one thing I can say is it's a crime thriller and it's based on real events and starring people from the community we filmed in, giving the chance to speak in their own voice and tell their own stories where I'm just kind of there being the master of the story, but they kind of were the bosses of the script. At the risk of sending you down a rabbit hole, I don't mm -hmm. want to do, but I think it's kind of an important part of the story of Guatemala. Because as you're describing, it sounds an, 
a lot like a country, a nation that has experienced a tremendous amount of trauma. If you go back to the 19, well, the 80s, certainly. I was, yeah, absolutely. The war in Central America, the, the U.S. support for the brutal dictatorships that were taking place in Guatemala. Yes. How much has that played out or playing out to this day as we as we sit here and discuss what what uh, the content of your film is about? So you're correct in that the country has experienced a lot of trauma, uh, especially because they're very, very raw from a armed conflict between the government, military and the people who were against them in a, so basically their civil war of the 1980s where so many people were killed. Uh, the thing that I realized living in Guatemala and teaching there is that every movie that comes out there is about the armed conflict. Yeah. And I was trying specifically in this film to avoid that, not only because I'm a foreigner living there, it's my second home. You know, I part of a production company down there. I spend part of every year down there, but I'm not a Guatemalan by birth or by citizenship, just kind of been adopted spiritually and artistically by, by people down there. And I feel like that's a story that is best told by them. And I also just felt like there's so many of them that I didn't need to add another one to it. That said, you can glean in the reverberations of such a traumatic event in the history of a country everything about the society. So it's all there, the income disparity. This film has a lot to do with that because in Guatemala City, Sarita's boyfriend is from the upper 1% who won't even go out in public with her because she's part of like the lower working class, even though they have uh, like a, a physical and emotional relationship. She only like hangs out with them inside her car or in private. I mean, there are things going on in the film that you are inevitable. If you're telling the story correctly and in with within the society that now exists there, you're going to come into political and social uh, issues like brought up or at least touched upon or, or brushed past. The, the hope was that I was going to make a crime thriller that incorporated a lot of the realities of this town and a little bit about Guatemala City. But I was also very, very, very aware of the fact that I did not that, that we were not trying to make a film that touched on the, the Civil War. I think that it's inevitable that people will think about it because it's so fresh in the history and everyone's mind. But we also have a very diverse cast full of indigenous and non, and also um, a big indigenous black population from Livingston, who are the Garifuna, who are more descendants from the black Caribbean settlers who came over from from the British colonies who, who are in Puerto Barrios. They live, they work in Puerto Barrios and they, they most of them live across the river in uh, Livingston. So a very culturally diverse group of, of people in the area we shot. So we wanted to represent that with all the different people and even the, the music in the film, the score is done by a, a Garifuna music uh, group that that language is not even Spanish because that's, that's, that's part of the Garifuna music that take that 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 is sung up in the the region we shot. I guess it, the context of which I brought up that question has to do with a failed civil society. Hmm. What I what I what I gleaned from the film was there's just simply not much of a civil society to enforce the laws to make sure people are going to school. The, the, and I don't know if that's. Again. I think that was definitely apparent in Puerto Barrios and, and in general, like the school I teach at in Guatemala City is private and very well run, but it's definitely elitist and it's definitely not somewhere that anybody can go. I've tried 
I got a scholar. I helped um, recommend my lead actress, Karen, for a scholarship there. And she ended up getting one and is studying there now. But um, the thing that you're, you're hitting on is really true, is that we were trying to show a group of people that are, again, no different than in, in the way that they act and their things that they want in their life than anyone who was born in the suburbs of Boston, where my family lives, just a country that doesn't really have the ability to support those things. And I thought it was interesting in a way to try to allow people who don't live in Guatemala and maybe are interested in what's going on to see there's a lot of universalism and the 15 to 27 year olds there who literally there's a line in the script that was told to me by one of the guys who had left the gang saying that that life is cheap there and that people don't really even care about the gang members you can kill someone in the street and if they're a gang member they don't even open investigation. Uh, sadly, we've experienced this firsthand by after the film shot, we lost some of our cast members because some of them went back during the pandemic into their old ways and a few of them were, were, were murdered. So um, this was a real life thing that I knew when I was getting into it. I knew that this was a, a possibility, but all the more reason to try to get the story out to, to the world outside of Guatemala. And um, also just just make sure we were operating in more of like the the crime thriller genre in order to get the film to not be preachy and say sure you can find all of these things in there because you can't divorce a film from the society in which it's 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 the story is told but we also wanted people to try to enjoy it as as a movie too because getting getting uh, the word out to people that there are, is a lot of talent in Guatemala helps that that country's film industry to be able to make more. So that's another goal of mine as well, is to make sure that people in, where I teach film, those kids can get out of school and maybe have a better chance at uh, adding to the, the industry down there. So much of the film rests on the shoulders of Karen Martinez, who plays Sarita. And what a wonderful job she does to watch her transformation, her journey, how she becomes somebody very different at various times in the film, the mm -hmm. circumstances that are she's presented with, life or death situations, how she reacts. And to be able to watch that in her body language, in her facial expressions, she was a wonderful actor in the film. I couldn't have done the movie without her. I mean, when she came in for an audition, I had known her from one film, the only other film she really had a a role a real role in called La Jala de Oro, The Golden Dream. I had seen it in 2013 at a festival. It it ended up actually winning the certain regard can prize for acting like ensemble cast, her and her other two co-stars. And she had grown up from that point. I think I think they filmed that when she was 15 or 16 and she was coming into audition for us as a 21, 22 year old. So I hardly recognized her, but then as soon as I realized who she was, I was like, this is the girl from the Hala de Oro that won an award at Cannes. So I was like, but then when she came in, she is a very quiet, reserved, kind of timid person, reserved, very, very soft-spoken, but she has this intensity and this, this, this not rage, but there's like this inner strength and confidence, even though she speaks very little and she speaks very softly. And I just kind of even in the auditions, I was a little scared of her because she just doesn't talk. She just looks at you, nods, does it all inside. And I'm like, I'm working with a real film actress, but I also wanted that for the character. This girl has to endure days of constantly almost dying 
and having to deal with awful people who are manipulating and strong arming her. Yet she, through her just cunning and her her fast thinking and her courage, is just able to continue to survive and bounce off of everything that's thrown at her. And I felt that in Karen. Karen's not very far away from the character of Sarita in the sense that she's from a, a kind of a socioeconomic level of the character. She's she she grew up not far from where the character is from. She has a younger sister who she's very protective of, and she is a little bit intimidating and scary, even though she's quiet. She's the she's the introvert who will eventually, if she has to, turn into the Incredible Hulk and. When I when I met her in the audition and I, I had already seen her work, I just I I didn't know if the film was possible until we found someone who could go through that transformation. And to her credit, she's became an author of the script and the character with me, helping to create this transformation of this girl into like a woman in 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 psychologically, I think, in what she has to endure and go through in her her. Uh, survival and ultimate like um, journey to get revenge and all that stuff. Yeah, and her moral arc is is complex. Oh yeah, <laughs> of 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 joining a gang and realizing maybe she's pretty good at this. Well, there's one scene in particular that struck me as the Which moment. One? Which one? Well, I mean, having to kill the uh, the boss and oh, in- like oh, at the end, yeah. Well, not even at the end. I or, mean, or the 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 scene where she has to she has to join the gang by luring the 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 yeah, the, exactly. the cartel leader. Cartel. Yeah, leader. actually, something to tell you about that that whole segment of the film. This is not a spoiler. I will say there is a middle set piece of the film that lasts about a half an hour, forty minutes, in which she has to join the gang, and it was spawned out of one interview I did with one uh, anonymous woman, young woman in Puerto Barrios during the research phase of the of the script in which she told me that she had just joined a gang because she was trying to protect her little brother and her mother from people who were bothering them. So she said, if I join a gang, I will have protection from them. They'll be, and the thing is this girl who spoke to me only under the um, uh, uh, conditions of anonymity, and I actually couldn't even record her. I had to just sit there with my, my notebook and just write everything she said. She wouldn't even meet with anyone else. I had to be alone. She was so afraid of people from town seeing that she was talking about joining this gang. She had been part of it for a few months. And um, so again, my Spanish is is good. I've speak it, spoken it fluently now for over 20 years, but I'm in this regional part with lots of slang. She speaks fast, she was nervous. And so I was sitting there just doing my best, but basically long story short is she explained to me the process with which she had to join the gang. And she didn't want to sleep with anyone and she didn't want to kill anyone. Those are two ways you can definitely get in and prove your, your loyalty. So there is this third option she explained, and it's called um, carnada or anzuelo. The, those are Spanish words for either bait or lure, like, like fishing bait. And basically the process is, is that if the girl does not want to kill anyone or sleep with the, the, the adult gang leader who is part of the kid gang, but like lives outside of town, they can do this other option where they go into some public place. It's usually a nightclub or a bar and they seduce the person they're trying to kill by posing as a prostitute or just a girl that is flirting and bringing them to some other place, usually a hotel or a car or something where the rest of the gang is there 
ready to kill that person. So you're basically aiding and abetting in a murder without having to actually kill. And when she was explaining the detail of which she had to go through in order to do this, to join the gang, I said, this is the, this is the middle half an hour of the film. This has to be because this is, this represents everything that I was trying to imagine. And I, and I didn't know it was possible until someone told me this existed. And when it did, I just said, okay, if I'm making a crime thriller and this actually happened, I'm just going to research this and get it to be this point where you get to see her basically risking her life and using her knowledge of men as a, as a, as a, as a, as a young woman in a, in a society that's very male oriented and in the special place in the country where women can actually join gangs, I had a great opportunity to show all of this in this, these, these scenes. And not only that, because they spend the day looking for him, I got to also see all the beautiful parts of town that you could, you could go to in the city, whereas the whole gang is looking for her throughout the day. And ultimately, that sequence really, I think, is the sequence that if I was to show anyone part of the film to say, what was the experience like in your research? It was like, it was finding this. And it also provides the character with this kind of uh, step towards other, other actions. It may, and a I think it, loss of innocence as well. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it does all of that. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Justin Lerner and the film is called Cadejo Blanco and it is out actually right now as we speak in so the, the film uh, opens today in uh, Lemley NoHo Theaters in North Hollywood uh, here in Los Angeles and will play three times a day, at least until the 27th of April. I'll be at the Q&As for the 7, 10 p.m. shows on the opening Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So tonight, tomorrow and Sunday. And uh, Sean Baker, the director of uh, the, the Florida Project, Tangerine and Red Rocket, is moderating tonight at the 710 show, the Q&A. There will be a lot of special guests there that night. And also Saturday and Sunday, there will be two um, special guests doing the Q&As as well at the 710 show. Congratulations. Wow. Sean Baker. He was actually really um, integral in, in um, mentoring me on the project because he works so much with non-professionals and... Yeah. So he gave me a lot of really great advice about not only working with them, but even how to how to do an audition for people who don't naturally act. You know, they're they're real people. And best piece of advice he gave me is that he said, don't audition them with lines. Just bring them in and have a conversation with them and see how uh, open and comfortable they are in front of the camera telling you stories about their life. That's fantastic. And that's what I did, actually. That's fantastic. And it, and it worked. I'm very curious uh, about the reaction to the film. Um, has it has, I assume it's been screened in Guatemala. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. So we premiered uh, in the end of 2021 in the festivals for starting at Toronto. And then we went to Guadalajara and Tulin black nights. And then in December we premiered in uh, Guatemala at Icaro film festival or festival Icaro, which is the only big, film festival in Guatemala and one of the most important and oldest in Central America. We ended up winning the grand prize, the best film. Um, We picked up a couple other like cinematography, editing, just some stuff like that. The real treat of premiering at that festival is I got to bring everyone from the Puerto Barrios cast, all the real people. We put them on a bus, got to dress the nicest you can. And uh, they went down the red carpet and got really treated like, like movie stars, which was surreal for them as much as it was for, for me to see. 
And uh, that was a real treat getting to see them there. I don't think they spoke the entire movie. I, I went from, you know, four years previously walking around with my cinematographer and my student telling them we were going to make a movie and them not believing me being like, we, what, what are you talking about? You're not going to make a movie here. Like to then them doing that. It, it was, it was, it was a, it was a nice ride. And actually I, I, I do want to mention this is that because we shot in such a, um, a, a town that has a lot of socioeconomic problems, we did partner with an NGO in the town that specializes in helping uh, kids with food insecurities or people who are without homes and we had them basically not only sponsor the film, but we we allotted a, a portion of our back end on the movie to them. So we're slowly gathering money. Uh, if, if people go buy tickets, a portion of it is going to these the people who participated in the film. We've we've already to date gotten um, a uh, we secured two two full scholarships to film programs in Guatemala for two of the the members of the cast who want to keep studying film. Part of the 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 compromise or the the negotiation in making the film was that I was going to do what I can to continue helping them want if if any of them want to keep acting or keep studying film. Again, I can't say enough about the cast. I mean, this film really is about the believability of the people in it to pull it off, and the way and that Karen Martinez just is really really good. I certainly look forward to more. I hope she's pursuing this. I'm working with her now and maybe getting her some representation in, in Mexico or Spain or even the U.S. She should be acting more. <laughs> the film, again, is called Cadejo Blanco, and we've been speaking with the co-editor, co-producer, writer, and director, and that would be Justin Lerner. Justin, thank you so very much. Thanks, Mike. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 